We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're going to break down the second half of Nick Filato's all-NFC East team. Gonna hear his picks. I'm gonna debate a few that I disagree with. And then next week, when things are less busy on this front, I feel like this week Nick has been, I mean, I'm generally busy with a couple other jobs and my main job. But Nick, man, this week he's been working. I feel like he's been working more. He's been put through longer days than he was during the Marines. The few, <laughs> the proud, the many, the Marines. Would but, not say that. Yeah, but. <laughs> I know. That was a ridiculous comment that, of course, isn't true. And I just look at the face. Whenever I mention anything about the Marines to Nick, I just look at his face and I just know there's – it's not something lost in translation, but it's just like I literally have no idea what he <laughs> went through in the Marines. I don't know if I want to know. I know – I've said before, like, I don't think I could do it. I think I could do it. I just don't think I would want to do it. And even the, and even the could is a stretch. I don't know if I'm a, if I'm as strong in that regard. Mentally, I guess it would be. I guess it's mostly mental strength, I would assume, to be, like, a Marine. I don't know. You could, you could describe it better than I can. I mean, there's obviously physical strength that you need for it as well, but that you can train for. But the, the mental strength, I'm sure, is there. But I say some things, I'm just like, I probably should just keep my mouth shut and just stick with my one take, the few, the proud, the many. <laughs> the many. The many. The many Marines but really it's just a few um and so kudos to nick for that but i'm joking he has had some long days obviously not marines like days but you know it's been tough so we've been having a tough time finding times to record to be honest but next week it's going to open up a little bit and then the week after that should be even freer so we're going to dive right back in after this into the positional breakdowns and we have a couple other things we want to do such as you know breaking down key roster, ranking the roster needs heading into the season, some bold prediction, some key questions we think that the Giants need to answer heading into training camp, and things of that nature. But today, again, we are going to dive into the all-NFC East defensive team that Nick created, this beast he created, and one that I have a little few more uh, disagreements on than the offense, I think, just looking at my notes. Before we do that, Nick, how has your the besides working your 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 ass off? How's your week gone? It's good, man. Yeah. You know, I enjoy work. I don't like not being productive. It's just I wish we had a little bit more time to record. But it's it's been really good. But I want to talk a little bit, actually, Dan, about who should be the coach. Who's the defensive coordinator of this team? So we didn't do oh, that. We didn't do that. Yeah. In the offense, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we probably wouldn't select Jason Garrett. It's probably safe to say that. We definitely wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but in who this, would, oh no, I know who I'd select as the offense coordinator, hands down for me. Oh, who are you going? That's with? just not hands down. There's yeah, a good runner up, but Scott, with Scott Turner. Going Scott yeah, Turner. yeah. I cool. love Scott Turner's offense. I love his system and I love his play calling. But I, more, Kellen is, Moore. Yeah, yeah Moore's yeah. a nice second. 
Yeah, I, I would take either one of those guys. Yeah. Sorry, Jason, but I mean, come on, just be a little bit more creative. And for the Giants, man, I mean, I'm going. I mean, for Defense, the yeah, Patrick Graham has a really, yeah. really good case of it, man. He was so creative. He is. Last I year. don't think. I think he's a hands down defensive coordinator. You go. With. Yeah. I don't think you could. I mean, you know, some people could say that. I. I, I don't know. I feel like Jack Del Rio Jack has. Del Rio. He would be the only one that would be in I consideration. Thinking, I don't know. I feel like. Even even if you go Del Rio, he's not as creative as Patrick Graham. He doesn't have. Yeah, I would much rather have Graham at this point, especially because Graham is just uh, he's he's ascending right now. Yeah, he's an ascending defensive mind, and when you really just watch how he was able to beat the Seattle Seahawks and how he was able to do several different things down the stretch of the season, make the adjustments, and also completely change what he's learned in New England and Miami by just basically abandoning cover one right. and running cover six and cover three and just a lot of too high looks. I mean, the Giants were one of the I think they ran two high looks more than any or one of the top like five teams in that and cover one I think they were second to last so like they just yeah. didn't run a lot of cover they one really and that's didn't. what we all expected we expected so much cover <laughs> one because that's what he did in Miami and I think we're gonna get a lot more of that this year as do I yeah yeah so and I think that'll be McKinney in that single high look and I'm excited for that I think McKinney can do a really good job in that especially specific to what Graham's gonna want because you saw him do a really good job of that at Alabama with Saban and so I can see that translating immediately especially the fully healthy offseason for Xavier Xavier to me is a massive piece because if they're gonna want it if they're gonna run what we think they want to run a lot of man a lot of cover one in my mind, he's by far and away the only player you can put back there. I don't want Julian Love back there. I don't at all want Logan Ryan back there. I don't. Peppers is the only other player I would consider back there in that single high look. But I don't know if I even love that. I think McKinney is the guy that you need back there, and that makes him so important for the season. But we'll get to more of that when we break down the safeties. Otherwise, man, it's been a good week for me. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Scott Fishbowl because we're both Ooh, participating okay. in the Scott Fishbowl. That's an alert for the fantasy alarm that goes off. For those of you who in the past, I think it's one or two of you, have left us a negative review for spending two to three minutes on fantasy. Honestly, I'll be honest with you, you can go screw yourselves because there are (laughs) double, triple, quadruple you who actually like the fantasy talk and have told us they want more fantasy. They want more gambling. Some of you have said the best podcast we did in the last year was the gambling podcast on the draft odds with Elliot Christ, who is a, you know, basically a semi-professional gambler so we're going to cater to the many not the few <laughs> we're not the marines so so, so corny so anyway scott fishbowl what it is is a massive fantasy football tournament that drafts the first week of july it has i think like what 500 how many people are participating uh, in this? it might even be over a thousand over a thousand people all separate into 12 team divisions it's super flex, so that means you can start two quarterbacks. You really want to strive to start two quarterbacks. It's tight end premium. It's a weird scoring court, which means that you know these tight ends are getting massive amounts of points. I think last year, I think it was like Hawkinson, who didn't even have that good of a year, finishes the tight end five, but was like equivalent to the wide receiver 14. So that just gives you an idea of like the value of tight ends versus receivers in that league. There's also points for rushing first downs. There's points, negative points for quarterbacks taking sacks. There's positive points for quarterback completions, six points for passing. It is a wacky scoring format, which makes it a lot more interesting. And they added kickers in this year for the first time. I'm not even sure yet if I want to draft one. So my draft is actually only through, I believe, seven rounds. I'm going to get my team up now. Nick, how's your dra- how, how far is your draft through right now? And read off your team and what spot you drafted from and then give a little takeaway on your strategy for this year. Yeah, so the uh, it's actually a little bit weird, the draft, because in the third round, 
inverses. Right. And so if I picked second overall, and then I had made my second pick, which was the snake, but then I didn't get the third pick that would be you know subsequent to that second pick only a couple picks later. So I had to wait the entire third round to pick, and then I got the three-four turn. I, I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I didn't love it, but you know, spice things up a little bit, and it also allows the teams that are picking on the back end to get a little bit more of an edge over the ones who had to select, you know, in the top five. Usually, generally, you have an advantage. So I picked second, and I really wanted Pat Mahomes. And again, in this league, super flex and. It's weighted towards quarterbacks so heavily as it is weighted towards tight ends. So, like, Travis Kelsey's going to go in the top five. Like, stuff that doesn't happen in normal leagues. So, I ended up going with Josh Allen on the upside at two. Don't necessarily love it, but I really, because every year I do this, I kind of punt quarterback because I see guys like, you know, Carson Wentz going in the end of the second round and in the third round. And I'm like, bro, I'm not doing that. Like, Daniel Jones going in the fifth round. Like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And then I always get screwed over because <laughs> I end up with, like, the Jimmy Garoppolo's and the Sam Darnold's. And if I'm lucky, I get, like, a Ben Roethlisberger. One of them gets hurt. And then you're absolutely screwed if you don't have, like, stable quarterbacks. So I really focused on quarterbacks. And I went with three quarterbacks already. And I think we're in the ninth round now. I have Daniel Jones, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Josh Allen, running backs Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, and Nick Chubb, receivers DJ Moore, and DeAndre Hopkins. And I'm about to pick here in a little bit, and I'm going to probably duel up on two high upside tight ends that uh, that will be around, that should be around by this pick. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy. You built your roster out more traditionally. I kind of leaned into the format and the scoring format here. Which is the way you should do it. I don't think so, though. I think the way you should do it is the way I did it last year. I've norm- I've typically leaned- I've typically done what you've done. Draft best players available, fill out a balanced roster with good running backs, receivers, so on That's and so forth. That's another thing. I think good running backs are really important in this league as well. Yeah, they are because you get the bonus for rushing attempts. Um I've typically done what you've done, and I have never had success. Then last year, I flipped my strategy completely because of that, and I was able to do it because I had Mahomes at the 1-3 pick, or I believe it was even deeper. It went a few picks without Mahomes going. Last year, people still weren't kind of onto the scoring. I think four backs went, and then I took Mahomes at five, I believe, last year. And so what I leaned into was stacking, because stacking in a league like this, when there's a 1,000 teams at place, and yes, it's 12-team divisions, but once you, if you win your division, you move on to this wild playoff thing where it's like you need to have stacking because you need to have explosive weeks to move on you're facing the best of the best and so I stacked Mahomes with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Tyreek Hill last year with my first three picks and that worked out really well this year I had the sixth pick I uh Mahomes was gone Josh Allen was gone even Lamar Jackson was gone who I like this year as a bounce back and so I took Kyler Murray didn't have an opportunity to stack any point I mean I've been getting sniped like one pick before before me on players I really like, one pick before me on Kyle Pitts, one pick before me on Oof. DeAndre Hopkins, who I wanted to pair with Kyler Murray, one pick before me on Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who I like as a bounce back this year. So I've been sniped in like four or five rounds. In the second round, I went with a high upside play, a player who I don't even love this year because I think his the injuries that he's had and the way that he plays football lead him to be very injury prone. I'm actually curious because you and I haven't talked about our teams yet. Yeah. So, so think about it on the comeback in the second round, about mid-second round. Is it running back? No, actually. So a tight end? Yeah. So Oh, George Kittle. So George Kittle, yeah. mid-second. I think that if he somehow stays healthy in this stupid, not stupid, in this unique scoring format, <laughs> he could he could break the game. I mean, if you had Travis Kelsey last year, he was a part of most of the winning teams and most of the teams that won divisions because of the scoring format. So then I had Kittle, came back around in the third round, took J.K. Dobbins. Didn't love that, but got sniped one pick before on DeAndre Hopkins, who I wanted. And then in the fourth round, I was staring at, you know, 
this quarterback group and I went upside. I took Trevor Lawrence and throughout the draft, basically my whole goal was to get, I basically took the positions of scarcity. So I took a second quarterback early then I took a third quarterback early in Sam Darnold because I didn't want to wait for, uh, you know, to potentially not have a Having a quarterback three in this league is a must. If you only have two quarterbacks, you're going to fall behind. Hence why I have Fitzpatrick and Daniel yes. Frickin' Jones. And then I also took Miles Sanders, I believe, in like round five because I was like, I can't believe he's still there, but I get it. And so my first receiver through seven, I've had eight picks. My first receiver is, and my only receiver is DJ Chark, who I've paired with Lawrence for a little bit of a stack. So I'm going zero wide receiver. We'll see how it works out. It's just hard. With DJ Chark, man, I love DJ Chark as a prospect, but I don't know if he's going to mesh as well with Urban Meyer because they made it a point to go out and get Marvin Jones, who kind of replicates yes. what DJ Chark does. They love LaVisca Chenault. They drafted Travis Etienne, who's going to be used in the slot and as a receiver. So, like, I don't know. I'm a little hesitant on DJ Chark, but it depends on where you get him, you know? Yeah. I, it how, was eighth round, and I yeah, totally I get it. I totally yeah. get the hesitation on Chark. I just feel like. My take on this offense is that, especially after they brought in, um, forgetting the guy's name, from the guy who was with the Lions when the Lions went from a completely like quick hitting offense to a vertical offense. This is the coordinator who was there? The Lombardi? Not Lombardi. Uh, is it Jim Bob? It's not Jim Bob Cooter. The name, by the way. Bevel, Daryl Bevel, who actually had a reputation as a West Coast quick-hitting type coordinator, but then came to the Lions, retooled his whole game as a coordinator, and opened up that vertical attack where they were just taking shots after shots to Marvin Jones, who they then brought in, uh, the Jaguars brought in, and to Galladay. So I think it's going to be an offense that runs the ball a lot and then uses play action for shot plays, and Lawrence certainly has the arm talent to do it, so I think Chark will be a good fit. Let's hope that uh, Bevel runs the football when he's on the one and two yard line yes, a little bit. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get into some Giants talk or some NFC East talk, and let's start with your All NFC East team, and we'll start with the defense, obviously. And we're going to start with the interior guys, build it from the inside out. We'll start with the defensive line. Who were your picks on the defensive line? So we went with three defensive linemen, and I was asking Dan a little bit. I think there's going to be a fourth that we're going to talk about as well. So we went with, or I went with, Leonard Williams. And he's going to be the move type of defensive lineman who you can align on the edge. You can align him at one tech in passing situations, three tech. You could do really anything with him. He's more of an upfield burst type of guy, but he can anchor down against the run. And he's just ferocious, very, very long, incredibly athletic. We've talked a lot about him on this podcast. Then Fletcher Cox. I know he's getting a little bit older, but he's still been very, very productive throughout his career. Coming off of a 43 pressure season, had eight sacks, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's just an absolute beast. Sadly, us Giants fans are aware of that. We saw it twice this year against the Giants' interior offensive line, and he's just always kind of just been a wrecking ball since he was drafted out of Mississippi State in the first round back in 2012. And then I went with Jonathan Allen, another player who kind of fell in the draft when he was selected because he had degenerative shoulder issues that honestly doesn't seem like it really affected him no. in his career. Just really incredibly heavy-handed, really stout against the run, can kick out to five technique, can play three technique, can play one technique if you need him, though they have Deron Payne, who is seriously considered for this list as well. Deron Payne absolutely dominated Nick Gates in the Washington matchups, which was unfortunate to see, but Deron Payne is one of the strongest and more underrated defensive linemen. So I honestly think, and I know you have somebody else in mind, there's an argument between Deron Payne and the person you're about to bring up. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm good with two of the three players on your list. I'm locked in on Allen. It was just an excellent pick by the, the Washington team with the former 
management that wasn't really a good you know it weren't it wasn't a good management team really but they did a good job with Allen they understood the importance of him he went 17th overall I don't think the drop was only because of the shoulder issue I think it's also because just taking an interior guy like him who's not the greatest pass rusher is just a you know it's a limiting pick at 17 we saw it with Dexter Lawrence but I'm also good with uh uh who was the other player you had on there Fletcher Cox no no Dexter Williams or I'm sorry Leonard Williams Yeah, yeah but then I would take Dexter Lawrence over Fletcher Cox because Cox did have a bit of a fall off last year. He had only 42, 43 pressures, I believe it was. Yep. And for him, that's a that's actually a drop off. And he's getting older. There's more tread on the tires. He's entering age thirty one season. He's had injuries that have limited him to seven hundred forty seven snaps last year. And you know he's playing more of kind of a limited role. So I'm going to go with Lawrence because Lawrence was considerably better in the run game and is considerably better in the run game. And he's getting better in the pass game. He's not at that exact level of Fletcher Cox, but the old Fletcher Cox would be the easy choice here, but this isn't that same old Fletcher Cox that's like borderline Aaron Donald level as a pass rusher. It's a different version of him. He's older. I think this is the year where Lawrence takes a step ahead of him, and then that brings me to the, the overall point about this, which is the Giants could very well have two of the best three interior defensive linemen in this division. They really can, and I, I can't argue against Dexter Lawrence, especially since this this little list that I compiled is for 2021 because he could be in for a huge breakout. When you go through and watch Patrick Graham's defense and you see Dexter Lawrence, you just see him out there, number 97. He's freaking incredible, dude. And he's yes. really, really athletic for a guy of his size. It's really, really eye-opening. I think he could be in for a huge season, so I'm not going to argue that. And also, I think, like I said before, Deron Payne can also be considered. He had 37 pressures last year, six sacks, according to Pro Football Focus, and he's another one who could just anchor down against the run. Incredibly heavy hands. It does a great job stacking and shedding at the point of attack. And when you have Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat along the defensive line. I mean, you you can do a lot of different things with your defense. It makes it much easier to be a cornerback, to be honest, because those guys are beasts up there. But yes, Dexter Lawrence is a stud, and he definitely was considered for this. And then just getting a little more giant-centric with this and thinking about it from kind of an overall standpoint, with regards to Dexter Lawrence, it's been a pick that's been discussed a lot. 17th overall hasn't been the exact gap shooter, uh, penetrating pass rusher you maybe would expect or hope to get when you're investing a top 17 pick, but at the same time, it brings me to kind of to an overall discussion because if the Giants do, if he does emerge how we expect he could at in his age 24 season, there's a chance that the Giants have this advantage on the interior defense line. And so that brings me to like an overall point here, Nick. I'm starting to think it, it's, it's tough to kind of figure out where the value is from a positional and roster building standpoint on the interior. But I'm starting to think more and more like Gettleman was on to something because when you have these guys like Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and then in the past Alvin Tomlinson, maybe this year that won't be the same, but you can put in BJ Hill for some snaps. He's pretty solid. And you can put in obviously, um, what's his name? Danny Shelton. Danny Shelton, blanking on Shelton's name for a minute there. It's been a long week, but you can put those guys in there. And what that allows you to do from a schematic standpoint is kind of just be like, this is it. This is what we're using to stop the run. We have our huge bodies in there that can play both sides. And we don't have to really divert all these other resources to stop the run. We can use a safety in different ways. We can use our second level players and put kind of, you know, in spots where they're dropping into zones right away and in spots where 
we're using the eight guys, or I'm sorry, the eight or the seven guys behind this interior defensive line. For the Giants, it was typically eight to do kind of whatever they want and not be focused so much on shooting this gap or committing to the run or hit firing downhill just to stop the run. And it's interesting because I think it gives you more flexibility schematically, and it might be the way to go to kind of shore up this interior. And I never thought this would be the case because I don't really, and it's still, you know, part of me still thinks, well, you can get these guys. You got Danny Shelton for $1.1 million in free agency. You know, you got Austin Johnson for nothing in free agency. Two years ago, they got Mario Edwards for nothing in free agency. He was good for the Giants and was good with the Saints. So it's kind of that debate in my head, like, where do you, how much do you want to put into this? But is it more valuable than previously thought to just have that strong, super strong interior that you can just say, you know what? Even like you said last year, a lot of what Patrick Graham did schematically was like use these guys to two gap, and then that allowed him to do so much else with the rest of his got the rest of the players on the field, all the other chess pieces. Yeah, you know, when they two gap or play a gap and a half, and when they're in those tight type of fronts, I mean, good luck running in the A and B gap because they get clogged up in the Giants, despite those, not using many resources. Yes, just, and look, the the point of their rush defense when they're in those tight fronts is to spill everything outside, and that's why it's imperative the Giants are strong on the edge. That's why guys like O'Shane Zimenez, they don't see a lot of snaps and early downs because they're not as great at setting the edge because they want Dexter Lawrence to the strength. They want you know Dalvin Tomlinson, it was on the nose, Leonard Williams on that backside, who's a great backside pursuit defender. Say they're running to the strength. I mean, it's going to be hard to double team and climb up to the second level to get to Blake Martinez and Tay Crowder because there's so many bodies in a congested area. So they're going to try to bounce the run out outside and that's where you had Lorenzo Carter until he got injured and Jabal Sheard who was good at setting the edge setting the edge and then bouncing it to the secondary force defenders whether that be Darnay Holmes or the outside cornerback who would then come up and make a tackle and the point of the Giants was you know we're going to stop the run we're going to try to get you into second and long then try to get you into third and maybe manageable third and long and then we're going to trust our defense and bring the heat on those downs or you know, sometimes we're going to fake bring in the heat and then we're going to drop to a too high defense, drop eight in yeah. the coverage, play zone match, and good luck trying to freaking beat us with the cornerbacks like, you know, James Bradbury. And then you had the liability on the defense in Isaac Yadam, but I feel like they rolled the safeties and did enough to kind yes. of mask Isaac Yadam. And you know what? In zone, he wasn't terrible. He was just a little bit of a liability in man coverage. But they had James Bradbury who can just run meg coverage, man everywhere he goes on the backside, eliminating the most dangerous threats, typically the best receiver. And sometimes they would uh, move him into the slot if they had to. So they had that lockdown corner, and hopefully they can get another one who can play somewhat to that level in a Dory Jackson. You're looking at you're looking at a secondary man that could be really, really dangerous yes. with a front that can create pressure with a creative mind. And this defense, we're hoping it could take it to the next level. It definitely can, but at the same time it could stagnate. You know, there could be injuries and you know, the Giants aren't going to be playing, you know, Brandon Allen and, and you know, an injured Alex Smith down the stretch of the season as much. Granted they shut down Russell Wilson and by doing though they rushed a lot of three guys, dropped a lot of eight against Seattle Seahawks, and really just confused them on the back end, really caused hesitation for Russell Wilson, caused him to, how many times did you see him rolling out of the pocket trying to evade guys, and Carter Coffin was coming off coverage and, like, tracking them down? I mean, the Giants just did a great job in that Seattle game, and we're just hoping that they can replicate that this year. I'm, I'm optimistic that they will with Patrick Graham coaching. Yeah, that was a hell of a game plan, that Seattle game. That's Graham's best game plan, without a doubt. But I feel very confident as well. It's like, like you said, I mean, they have like the best thing about having these big guys up front is exactly what you said it makes it so much harder for the offensive lineman to climb to that second level and create these massive plays in the run game and it gives you gives these linebackers like Blake Martinez it's no surprise to me he had his best season last year's breakout year it wasn't just a system fit with Patrick Graham 
And it wasn't just coming over the Giants. It wasn't just replacing Terry in his diet because he was apparently allergic to dairy. But I still think that played a big role. I, I stand he's by that, that. He's got that Dan Schneier thing going on. I stand on. by that. Yeah, I can't. I can't process dairy anymore. I'm not allergic to it. I just it require when I have dairy, it requires a, a little pain the next day. But sometimes the pain is worth. As I discussed with my friend Ben Brosh this past weekend, shout out Ben Brosh, as we you know had an ice cream. It was after a long day hiking. We had an ice cream. I said, you know what? Sometimes it's worth the pain to eat the dairy because dairy is the best, man, and it's part of all the best foods yes anyway back to the point i also think it's because of what you said man he it's he had so many free lanes because the because these guys weren't able to get to the second level because of the interior defensive line and i think that's part of the reason the giants were so interested in jamin davis in this draft because if you put him next to martinez and he is free he's just roaming free and he's able to just attack downhill free with free lanes he could create havoc not just in the run game but in the pass game as well as a blitzer and so i still think they're looking for that i think that will be a part of their scouting this draft class i think the giants will certainly be looking for another linebacker a jamin davis type but on that note let's go ahead and move over to the edge class in this division before we do that let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get to Nick's edge class. Give us the top players in the NFC East who made your all-NFC East edge class. So the edges, I mean, it's easy. You just kind of look to Washington, and there's two of them just chilling there and Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I, I really like Montez Sweat, man. He's just built to be an edge rusher. He's just incredibly long arms. Like, his back is incredibly wide. He's a freak athlete, and he often gets overlooked because he's playing opposite of Chase Young, who's even a better prospect than Montez Sweat is. But I have both of those guys as the bookends, and I wanted to get a situational guy. I wanted to get a different type of pass rusher in there. So there's one that really comes to my mind from Dallas in Demarcus Lawrence, and I think there's definitely an argument for him. But I ended up going with Brandon Graham, who I feel like is one of the most underrated players in the NFC East. The issue with this pick, I would say, is the fact that he is 33 years old. He's getting older, but he's a six foot two, 265 pound edge rusher who you can kick inside when you need to he can set the edge he's very very good against the run and every time i watch the eagles defense i just come away being like this guy is so freaking smart and he always puts himself in the best position he never makes the wrong move he's just a nuisance to kind of block out there on the edge so i kind of wanted to tip my cap to him and be like yo i recognize what you're doing came into the league was a little bit slow 
to get acclimated but then once you know 2015 2000 he really kind of hit his stride and then in 2017 he was a gigantic part of the Eagles winning that Super Bowl so you know we hate to talk about that but I I just think he's a really really good player coming off of a 56 pressure season eight sack according to pro football focus he's still getting it done it's a slight dip from what he was in 2019 so I could be you know you know, just getting an older player, and I would definitely hear, you know, the arguments for Demarcus Lawrence, but I wanted to get a different type of guy, and I feel like Graham is different than Sweat, and he's different uh, from Chase Young, so I went with him. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, our edge class is similar, but there's one difference. I'll start by saying I have Chase Young as my edge one. He would be number one in the class heading into 2021. I think he showed what he's capable of last year, but he's going to take an even bigger leap in year two, and he's going to solidify himself as one of the best in the league. My edge two is actually Brandon Graham. I think that Brandon Graham has been the most one of the most underrated players in the NFL at any position over the last 10 years, and it's really interesting because the Giants were super interested in Graham when he was in the draft. They got sniped by the Eagles, and then when he became a free agent, the Giants almost signed him after I believe it was two or three off seasons ago but the Eagles made one final competitive offer it was very similar to what the Giants offered and he said I'll just stay where I'm at I have a home here whatnot I built a family out here and so the Giants have been interested in Graham his whole career it's because they've done a really good job scouting him and like you said he still had 56 pressures you're most and most out of any of these guys I believe if I'm not mistaken I'm pretty sure that's correct <coughs> and so I have my third edge is actually Demarcus Lawrence I have Montez Sweat off the list I I have that because Lawrence actually had as many pressures as Sweat last year, despite not playing uh, opposite Chase Young, which I think is more impressive when you don't have Chase Young on the other side. And he was much better from a run-stop standpoint. And uh, run-stops are a a stat that pro football logs, which is basically run uh, plays an individual makes in a run game that require the run to go for, I believe, two yards or fewer and including negative losses. So that's considered a run stop. And so he's better in the run game and basically just as effective without Chase Young in the pass game. So those were my three edges. Giants, no Giants obviously made the list here, but I think that more so speaks to the way they've built out this defense, uh, defensive roster. And I don't hate it. I mean, now they finally invested a big one. It was the Zojolari and then a second kind of flyer in Ellerson Smith. But I really don't hate how they built this roster out. I'm not a. It, it's nice to have the Chase Youngs of this world, but I really think the Giants can be one of the best teams in the NFL without the way they're set up. At least within Patrick Graham's system, it's not going to be every system. You know, if you're going to run the Patriots Ravens style, Dolphin style system, you, this is the only way it works. If you're going to run a different system, like if you had that Jack Del Rio here or whatnot, maybe it wouldn't work. But the way it's set up now, I think they can win with the edges they have. Yeah, and I didn't really even consider any of the Giants no. edges, sadly. You know, we, we hope Lorenzo Carter can bounce back, but the NFC East has a lot of good edge rushers. It sucks for the NFC East quarterbacks, if we're going to yeah. be honest, but there's a lot of good edge rushers. And the NFC East <laughs> offensive linemen, even uh, more. Yeah, sucks no. even worse for those guys. I think I saw a tweet by somebody. It might have been Ledyard, and he was just going over all the edge rushers that were injured last year, and he was like, wow, 2021 is going to be a lot different than 2020 because <laughs> there are so many edge rushers that are coming back off of these serious injuries. Yeah, without a doubt. It's an interesting division from the standpoint of it. There's, it's definitely stacked on the edges outside of the Giants, and it puts a lot of pressure on these young offensive linemen. The Giants have, what, three young offensive linemen, four if you want to—I'm sorry, four, five if you want to include Will Hernandez in that, though he has a little bit more experience playing in the NFL. So it's going to be a tough task in pass pro for these guys. I mean, it's—that's the big—I was talking yesterday on the locker room, which I'm not sure we'll actually publish, but depends, but we'll see. May not have been. It was. It was a little bit of light for. It's the off season for the locker room, but we'll get back into those. But saying like 
the Giants have taken some solid strides from a run blocking standpoint. You could see it in the second half of the season. There were some holes that they opened for Gallman, especially with their classic go-to G lead play that just seems to be working well for them until someone counter counter tray counter tray sorry that seems to be working well for them until somebody takes it away when they look at the film and then they'll have to do something else but that's only going to take you so far what you need to see is the improvement in pass production because this game is won and lost in the pass passing game that's just how the NFL is look at all the four teams in the semifinals last year Josh Allen and the Bills one of the best pass offenses in the NFL Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs one of the best pass offenses in the NFL and back to Josh Allen and the Bills they didn't even care they don't even run the ball they don't care they don't want to run the ball they know it's stupid to run the ball so they like they they asked the Bills offense coordinator one of the best in the NFL Brian Dable this offseason like do you need to get more balance on offense like no we don't we just need to get more yards when we do decide to run the ball because he knows that they're getting literally double the yardage on pass plays than they are on run plays so why would you want to be balanced when you could get average nfl teams average two times as many yards on pass attempts as they do on run attempts it makes zero sense to be balanced and so he won't be balanced and hopefully the giants aren't a balanced quote-unquote team on offense because balance doesn't win anymore it never really won in the nfl it was just a way to like control the clock and you know it's a it's a style i guess if you have a bad defense it's a better idea because it keeps defense off the field the cowboys were actually did a solid job of it back in 2016 i believe it was when the Giants uh, finished second in the division, the Cowboys won 14 games, 14-2, and two, I believe, or 13-3. They had a bad defense that year, and they actually benefited from being balanced, in a sense, because they kept the defense off the field. They burned the play clock every down. But overall, you want to be one of these Bills, Chiefs, Packers, Bucks type offenses that can attack through the air at all times. The X factor is quarterback. Of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you Dan- need to have a quarterback to attack in the air, of yeah. course. Daniel Jones has not proven that quite yet. Hopefully he can take that leap from year two year three in the second year in jason garrett's system without a doubt all right where were we? i kind of lost a train of thought on that so let's just transition over to the inside back or to the backers the linebackers off ball linebackers and not including the edges and so who were your picks there yeah so i went with blake martinez as my number one i would say selection within the division i mean the eagles there's really no one to consider i think there are interesting pieces with dallas and i think there are interesting pieces or one really interesting piece with washington so i chose two linebackers and i ended up going with remember there's 15 guys on this roster i ended up going with jimin davis as the second i know there's a lot of pushback there and i can definitely understand why people went with micah parsons and i rationalized it because jimin davis is such a freak athlete as is micah parsons but Jamin Davis, and I looked at Micah Parsons, I actually even said in the article, like, the character issues and character concerns made me kind of lean towards Jamin Davis. I don't know if that's a cop-out or not. I don't know if I just didn't want any, not to spoil, didn't want any Dallas Cowboys on this list. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up just settling on Jamin Davis because of that just incredible range, athletic upside, and the three-prawn attack that he has to drop into coverage, use those incredibly long arms to close throwing windows, come forward during the blitz, and execute his run fits well. He's a little bit more raw than Micah Parsons, and I can easily see why people would want to go with Micah Parsons, but I just looked at them both, and I said, I'm going to lean with Jamin Davis because Micah Parsons does have some concerns around him, and if the Giants are coaching this team, I'm not sure how interested they would be in Parsons. Yeah, my my list is similar in the sense that I have Blake as the 1-1. I think it's great as Giants fans to know that we have the best middle linebacker in the division. It's been a long time. The Giants have been looking for a great middle linebacker for a while. They had a one-year small sample size of of having a great one when John Beeson, when they made the trade for Beeson, but 
he had injuries his whole career and then got injured like one year into his Giants tenure and that was it for that really since Antonio Pierce they haven't had anyone until Blake and Blake proved himself last year especially within this system I'm not sure Blake would be an amazing linebacker in any system and I am a bit concerned about Blake in 2021 if the Giants do play a lot more man coverage so I think it could expose him in a lot of ways that he wasn't exposed last year as a coverage linebacker and we'll see if that happens that remains to be seen it's just one minor concern of mine but I think he's the clear 1-1 my 1-2 was Micah Parsons not Jamin Davis I think he's just an overall better linebacker than Jamin Davis and I think you know, yes, there are some character concerns there, but you can say that about a lot of players, and yeah. I'm not so sure I buy into all the character stuff there. I and, think that, I think that's fair too. Yeah, yeah, I really do. But that made me uh, go to Jamin Davis's uh, mock draftable and Spider draft, and dude, this yeah, dude, athletic is, freak, is an athletic monster. 99 broad, 99 percent vert, 99 percent broad, 98 percent 40 yard dash, 91 percent 20 yard split, 95 percent 10 yard split. 79% arm length, 91% wingspan. I mean, 94th percent height. It's just, I could see why Dave Gettleman would be interested in a dude like Without this. a doubt. He's going to add some to that. Wash The Washington defense and that Washington roster overall, man, they've Scary. done a good job turning it around. They did. Really, this has been a great regime change for them with Ron Rivera and Scott Turner leading the way from a coaching standpoint and Jack Del Rio. But then just the management there has also improved. So it's disappointing. I like the days when Washington was the doormat of the NFC. It's an easy team that you could easily... Uh, you know, just expect losses from all the time, but it doesn't seem to be that way. All right, let's move on to the corners here. Um, Let's see. I think we actually have no differences in the corners, but I have two points to make on players that I'm interested by in this vision. So let's hear your list. Yeah, so it's James Bradbury is the 1-1. I feel like he's Mm -hmm. the best cornerback in this division. He proved that last year, took a significant step forward from his days in Carolina. Like, I I thought he was a above average corner cornerback, I think is what I said. But like probably like a really, really good two, like a solid mm-hmm. one. He definitely took his game to the next level in Patrick Graham's system last year, and he was, I would say, a top seven, arguably top five cornerback in the league. And there are a lot of good cornerbacks in this league. So it's kinda like, that says a lot about James Bradbury. And then I went with Darius Slay, and yeah, he's thirty years old and he didn't have the best season, but the Eagles were kind of a mess on defense last year. I still think there's a lot of talent with a player like Darius Slay. I think he is I wouldn't say the easy two, but he would be my number two if I was constructing, you know, okay, two boundary cornerbacks, two outside cornerbacks, I should say. James Bradbury, Darius Slay. And then that third guy who could fill in if one of those two were to get injured is a Dory Jackson, man. I went with a Dory Jackson here, and, you know, I was looking around the division, and there weren't a lot of other names that really jumped out at me, especially names that had the type of upside as a Dory Jackson, who was still really, really young, he had an injury-riddled season last year that kind of held him back. But if you look at him from 2018, 2019, you're like, man, there's a lot of potential, specifically with what coverages you can run with a Dory Jackson because he's such a freak athlete. He can hold up in all types of man coverage. He's a smart player. He's a fairly disciplined player. I mean, the guy kept up with Tyreek Hill down the field in man coverage mm-hmm. several times when the Titans played the Chiefs. So I... I I feel comfortable about adding a Dory Jackson. And then I wanted to get one slot guy. I went with Kendall Fuller, who's probably one of the better slot defenders in the National Football League. He was traded, actually, to the Chiefs, and then he signed back with Washington, so he's there again. And I think that's a solid pick in the slot. I mean, as much as I would love to go with somebody like a Darnay Holmes, I just uh, I just can't because he's just not as talented or as experienced as someone like Fuller. But if Darnay Holmes could ever be a player like Fuller, I mean, I'd welcome that in a heartbeat, bro. Yeah, I think Fuller's a, a step above him. I love your list. I think it's spot on. I think Adoree belongs on there. I think Slay belongs on there. Slay's probably the the one guy who you can say just has at least, 
I don't want to say Bradbury hasn't been, but Bradbury in, within Patrick Graham's system wasn't doing some of the same stuff that Slay did during his time in Detroit. Obviously, had a bad year with Philly, but during Detroit, there were times where he'd just lock him up. They'd lock him on the best receiver. They'd put no safety help over the top. It wasn't zone coverage, and they'd just be like, figure it out, and he could. And that's, you know, and hasn't been the case as much for him with Philly, and he's 30. So obviously, I still think he's the one two behind Bradbury here. And we'll see how, you know, Bradbury does within this new, within the changes of the system last year, next year. But I think it's going to be fine. I think they're going to design the system to fit his strength. That's kind of what the Giants did such a great job of, and not all teams can do, and all teams try to do every offseason, bring in guys that fit the system. Bradbury and Martinez played their best football in their careers in the system. They perfectly found the right guys to fit. So I hope that's the case with the Dory Jackson too. And I have confidence that it will be based on what they found with Bradbury and with Martinez. And I think that can give you confidence as a Giants fan that they know what they're doing on at least on the defense side of the ball as far as finding system fits. And that gives me confidence with Dory Jackson. That gives me confidence with Denebo. That gives me confidence with a lot of these free agent pickups. Even Ryan Anderson, to some extent, they probably have some envision for him, what he can do. He still might get cut, but like what he can do within this system. So I love it there. The only mention, the only players I would also main, uh, name within the cornerback group in this division, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Fabian Moreau, who's been one of the most underrated corners, not only in this division, but in the NFL. Gets no fanfare, gets no name recognition, and yet has been pretty damn shut down for the for the Washington football team for a decent amount of time. And man, do they have a good defense from Moreau to Fuller. They have so many players across all three levels, now adding Jamin Davis to the mix. And William Jackson. And William Jackson. Is definitely in consideration for this list, to be honest, as well. He's fallen off a bit, so I kind of uh, I'm, he wouldn't be on my list. I feel like I used to love William Jackson. He was the guy I wanted over Eli Apple in that draft. I thought he was the clear-cut cornerback one in that class. And he was great at the beginning of his career. He's fallen off a bit. That could be because the Bengals suck so much, and it's Maybe like suck. he's put on more difficult situations with teams kind of picking on all their corners and not getting prepped, whatever it may be. So I can see that. The other guy I would say is I'm just happy that Ronald Darby's out of the division now because Ronald Darby's been a really good player when healthy, and that was a big, big hit for the Eagles. The Eagles did not find anyone to replace him with. I think that that secondary is going to be disaster for them this year with the exception of Darius Slay because of that, because they don't have any cornerback depth. And so I'm happy he's out of the division. Yes, yeah. I don't know if he would crack my list, to be honest, but you're right. He was a really solid cornerback within the NFC East. I don't know. I, I, I like these cornerbacks, though, man. And, and just to touch on the Giants, and you mentioned the confidence that we should have in the Adoree Jackson because of his coaching staff. Right. I think we all expect that it's a given once you're at the NFL level, that the coaching is kind of, you know, the same across the board. And I don't think that's true. And yeah. from everything that I just hear about the New York Giants and Joe Judge and Patrick Graham and this coaching staff, these players rave about how they're how these coaches instill what they want to do into them. And it's not something that they've seen in other places. Blake Martinez has talked about it. I mean, and you think about Blake Martinez got added, James Bradbury got added, they both had career years. And you're just like, man, if this can happen for Dory Jackson, this can happen for Xavier McKinney, who we haven't even really seen quite yet. I mean, you're looking at just a really, really good defense. And just to kind of harp back on the Patrick Graham thing that we've been talking about the entire podcast, I mean... He hasn't shown me anything that doesn't suggest that that could happen. So if this team can stay healthy, bro, I mean, whew. Yeah, sky is the limit for this defense. All right, let's move on to the safeties and wrap up there. Who are the players you named as your safeties? It seems very homerish, but there's really only one player other than the three Giants that I ended up going with that I think is in consideration. And he was a rookie last year for Washington, Cameron Curl, who's a solid player. But I went with Jabril Peppers, Logan Ryan, and Xavier McKinney, bro. 
and you look around the division, I mean, Keanu Neal, I mean, coming over from the Falcons, who's now with Dallas, I mean, yeah, you can consider him, but would I rather have Keanu Neal over any of these three? No, I wouldn't. Would I rather have Cameron Curl over any of these three? No, I don't think I would. So, I mean, it's a great great thing to have right now if you're a New York Giants fan that you have this stud safeties especially since a lot of these guys can play in the box and they can do so many different things for you from a coverage standpoint and that's exactly what you're kind of looking for in today's NFL while also not being you know these liabilities against the run if you want to drop them in the box to add another defender against the run add an eight-man box all three of them can kind of step into the box and execute those responsibilities so to me I, I love the fact that I selected three Giants here I don't think it's homerish because I don't really know if I'd want any else in the division yeah i love what you said about the safeties on the giants roster from peppers to mckinney to logan ryan in today's nfl it's so key to have your chess pieces back there your third level guys the safeties the corners especially the safeties be able to do all three things drop into the box and stop the run drop in the box maybe blitz make plays uh after the catch as tacklers and then also potentially drop into the deep half and help you out there. And I think all those guys can do it with the exception of maybe Logan Ryan, who I don't love as much in that role. I like Ryan more down in the slot in like that robberish role in that area yeah. of the field. Um, my list is a bit different. I did include Peppers. I did include McKinney, which is a bit, bit speculative on both of our parts, but I think we both are just so confident in what McKinney can do. The guy I went with third is Rodney McLeod, who has been, in my mind, the most underrated safety in the NFL. When he signed with the Eagles originally from the Rams, I was like, this is an insane deal. I can't believe they got him. And he's been just as good ever since. As fight, you know, now what? He's 31 years old and he's still playing at a high level in coverage. He's not a great tackler, but he does something that not many people do in the NFL, which is the ability to drop into the deep half and kind of corral and protect that deep half of the field and obviously you know it didn't always seem that way with the Eagles because their corners were so bad and they gave up some really bad bad uh, receptions and just man coverage and just being on the island but when he's asked to do that I still think he's one of the best in the NFL at that I take him over Logan Ryan the Logan Ryan if you're using him it's a toss-up for me because Logan Ryan does so many things that McLeod can't do yeah. But I think that's my one. And the only other person in consideration for me was Anthony Harris, who the Giants were actually interested in and almost traded for, I believe, two off-seasons ago. That was like, I'm not sure how much. Not almost traded yeah, for, yeah. it was a rumor. Rumor, yeah. Yeah, who knows if that actually happened. But he had a really bad 2020. and so he, As did the entire Vikings defense. Yes, so I, I he just was left off my list for that reason. Yeah, I would definitely st- I would go Ryan over McLeod. No knock on McLeod, but it's all from the cerebral standpoint and the, the leadership standpoint that I believe Ryan has in the back end of that defense. And he's certainly more versatile. Yes, yes. McLeod's kind of just that deep half free safety type. All right, that's all we have for the All-NFC East team. Just to go over it again, we had defensive line, 11 Giants. Or I'm sorry, just go over from the team breakdown standpoint, then we'll do the positions. 11 Giants, 8 Washington, Six Eagles and five Cowboys. That's for both offense and defense. I'm breaking down Nick's list right now. Um, The defense obviously more heavily weighted to the Giants. The offense more heavily weighted to the rest of the division. That's kind of how things are right now in the division. The Giants potentially could have the best defense. I think the Giants and the Washington football team are in the running for the best defense in the division. Best offense in the division? I don't think that's even a debate. It's the Cowboys. It's the Cowboys, yeah. Unfortunately for the Giants, but... We'll see what happens. The offense will take a step forward. All right, that's our all NFC East team heading into 2021. Thank you again for tuning in. If you want to help the podcast grow, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at new NY Big Blue Banter. And follow us on YouTube by typing in Big Blue Banter and hitting the subscribe button. We want to get to 1,000 there. We're close, but still a bit far away. Um, obviously, more content coming next week as we preview to the beginning of the show, so stay with us. 
Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.